Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode of Everything Under the Sun is sponsored by NHTSA. Sadly, in 2020, 24 children died of pediatric vehicular heat stroke, and many of those incidents occurred when parents or caregivers simply forgot the child was in the car. A child's body temperature rises three to five times faster than an adult's. So if you see a child unattended and you can't locate their parents, call 911. If the child looks unresponsive, do whatever it takes to get him or her out safely, including breaking the window. Your actions could save the life of a child. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It's our weekly podcast featuring in-depth interviews with experts from AccuWeather and from around the world, bringing you behind-the-scenes information, stories, and news on the weather, climate change, and the outdoors, covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now, here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist, Dean DeVore. Welcome in, friends, to our second episode of our Back to School series here on Everything Under the Sun as areas from the Gulf Coast up into the Northeast continue to recover from Ida's impacts over the last week. We had new storm threats along the eastern seaboard with huge Hurricane Larry spinning out at sea. The western U.S. suffered a bit under heat again, but still, all in all, things were a lot calmer this past week as the nation begins to ready for this weekend's commemoration of the 20th anniversary of the attacks of 9-11. We'll talk to someone who was at ground zero when the Twin Towers fell that fateful day. 1010 Winds' John Montone will join us. Then lead long-range forecaster Paul Pastelock will stop in for our second segment. He'll give us a look at what to expect weather-wise the rest of this fall and give us a little sneak peek at the AccuWeather winter forecast. It's only about three weeks away. And finally, we'll get a visit from Chief Hurricane Forecaster Dan Kutlowski and what we can look for as we get to the peak of hurricane season, which is actually in terms of number of storms this weekend itself. Friends, it's time to sit back and relax as we talk about everything under the sun. My friend and colleague John Montone is a household name in New York City. And uh, through his work at our great radio partner from AccuWeather 1010 Winds and also through uh, many of the TV stations in New York City over the years, he's used his man-on-the-street kind of reporting style, his ability to ask questions, to poke fun at you and me and have us laugh at ourselves and feel good about each other in the end, but also to inform us. And 20 years ago this weekend, John Montone found himself in Ground Zero, as the first reports of the attacks on the Twin Towers came out, John Montone dropped everything and headed right to that spot. And as you'll hear in a few moments, underwent some harrowing conditions and, and certainly is uh, still uh, emotional when talking about it. But I felt like it was uh, really important to get the perspective of someone who was right in the middle of things on what was a beautiful, I mean, absolutely crystal clear, gorgeous September morning. When those first planes struck the World Trade Center towers, we are joined on Everything Under the Sun by our friend and colleague from 1010 Winds, John Montone. 
John, it's uh, great to have you with us. I've uh, been wanting to have you on actually a little more regularly. And, uh, you know, here we are at a place where actually I kind of had in my mind, I, I put a little mental bookmark that uh, this is a week that I wanted to talk to my friend John Montone because uh, this is an emotional week for um, anyone who lives uh, around New York or in the Northeast, I think, especially or ties to New York whether you were living there 20 years ago on this uh, September 11th anniversary or not, if you were growing up there or whatever, this is this is a hard time because this was a time when uh, so many things changed so fast and maybe in some ways some of our innocence was lost and John was right in the middle of it. John, is, uh, as I remember that day, the weather was absolutely gorgeous in fact i think there's a yeah yes, a viacom absolutely. special yeah. that was done uh, several years ago where it has elliot doing the forecasts our colleague elliot abrams at the 832 mark and him talking about how pristine and beautiful and blue the skies were i think it had been stormy and hot like the days before and this beautiful air mass was in over new york city and at one moment at 832 everything was pristine and blue and then 20 minutes later all hell was breaking loose yeah, exactly. It was uh, it was primary day, the mayoral primary in the city, and I was on the Upper East Side with the uh, Democratic candidate. And I remember uh, he came out and, uh, as politicians are wont to do, uh, said very grandiosely, "We will make history today." And I recorded it and went back to my truck. And we had pagers back then. And I got a, a page that said call station. And they told me that a small plane had uh, had hit the North Tower. And immediately I dropped everything that had anything to do with the election. And I raced down Harlem River Drive and then to the FDR. Let's yeah. put that in perspective for folks who, I mean, uh, those of us who know New York, Upper East Side, um, you know, so upper is anything, you know, when you're getting in the 67, how far up in the numbers were you at that point? Yeah, in, the, in the 90s, I 90s, think. I think it was okay. in the 90s. Yeah, so, just, just where just where it becomes the, you know, eventually becomes the FDR right. coming down if you're if you're along the East River. And I made it so quickly because there were ambulances and uh, police cars screaming toward the tower. And so, I just got in the in the mix. In the line, right, in the line. So so how long had passed? So this was in the first 20, 30 minutes since that. Oh, this was immediate. This right. was this was immediate. I'm going down. I'm listening to the station. Right. And our anchor, Lee Harris, has uh, one of our uh, account execs, sales woman on who lives down in the battery and he's talking to her about you know what it looks like and all of a sudden she screams and he's watching the teleprompter the the, the television screen right. and he sees that another the sec- plane the second hit, plane the yeah. south tower right yeah so at that point i knew i was going into a into a war zone, war zone and, yeah. i mean i dropped the car up on broadway i i ran and i just as i was running toward the towers people were running away from the towers, screaming. And I got to stop some of them and interview them. Uh, the, the cell technology was was still in its infancy. My phone in the car, my, the, my handheld, none of it worked. But there was a record shop on Broadway 
and they let me use their landline phone. And uh, that's how I got on the air and uh, did my first reports. I did the reports and then the president uh, was going to have an announcement and they told me, you know, come back after the president's announcement, we'll get you back on. So I immediately, I ran down back to church, back to the South Tower, and I was standing outside the Century 21 uh, department store that was there. And the the fellow who worked the door, they wore these kind of neat looking uniforms. Yes. He pulled me back and he told me, stuff is falling, watch out. And what I guess I figured out he meant later was that people were jumping. Right. Now, I didn't see anyone jump at that moment. That was earlier. But I will tell you, I saw just looking straight up uh, the fuselage, the, the, the black smoke. And then the police began clearing us out. And as I'm running back up to Broadway to interview people, because there's a massive crowd there, there's a line two by two young firefighters walking to the scene. And of course, I don't know for 100% sure whether all of them died a few moments later when the South Tower imploded, disintegrated, vaporized. Uh, but I guess they did. Um, and I was up on Broadway in the middle of just hundreds and hundreds of people. And I was trying to interview as many people as I could. And one woman just screamed something like it's coming down. But in your mind's eye, you're thinking of, you know, a, a, a piece a of tower it or right. Falling, yeah, right. Falling. Okay. Right. And it, and it wasn't. And it was this uh, a tidal wave, a tsunami of just dust. Yep. And but the crowd just I guess people ran every which way. Um, I was under three or four bodies. Um, I thought that's how I would die because, you know, the weight on my, my chest and, you know, I'm not a big guy, right. the weight was just, I got pushed into a building and somehow people got up and got off and we walked to the other side, which was Nassau street. So there's Broadway and right. then to the East is Nassau street, which runs North to South like Broadway. And, uh, as you mentioned, this bright, brilliant, beautiful September morn was gone and the sky was grayish black and, and ash was falling. It had already piled three, four inches high. Uh, people, grown men, business guys were walking around in circles with their briefcases. Like they didn't know. I later described it as, as nuclear winter. Right. Um, unfortunately I had, a brand new model recorder uh, tied to my my microphone with a little mini plug sure not the older recorders we used to use and it got lost in the in the crush so all of my my interviews were lost right uh, so i had to rely on you know my memory of what people told me when i finally got to an office building with a with a landline then where were you when the second tower came down I, I was um, I was in the office building, which was closer, uh, three or four blocks uh, east near the East River. Uh, you, you could not get a telephone anywhere. Right. We still had pay phones on the street. Yes, we did. And and there there were lines around the block, and nobody came, at that point. 
people are usually pretty good to me when I, you know, when I show them the, 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 the 10, 10, 10, wins, 10 wins, uh, mic flag, right? microphone, air flag. Yes, but in this case, no, they wanted to get to their families. And, um, when I finally got to an office building, uh, and I kind of helped myself, there were deserted desks and I just walked past the security guard and I told him I've got to get on the air. He knew who I was and I was on the air. And then they broke in that the, the North tower had, uh, had come down as, as well. And, uh, by that point we had a lot of reporters on the scene and I was, gasping for air. I had swallowed so much dust and stuff. And in between reports, I was just spitting it out. Uh, a very kind woman at a Burger King sat me down and said, before you go back on the radio, Mr. Montone, we're going to, and she just poured water down my throat and oh. I threw up. And yeah. so it was, it was, it was a horror for every, anybody who was there. Right. Um, but of course, a horror geometrically more for people who lost loved ones. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate to, uh, that I was able to walk away. Had I not gone up to Broadway when I did, right. had the police not cleared out the area, I would not have made it out alive. As we look 20 years back, I know sometimes anniversaries and commemorations get harder with time. And, you know, because, when we put distance between ourselves and that moment, we can deal with the pain better. But as you're talking to me, John, I can hear the pain of what you went through that day. And I know so many who did. Um, we're going to, uh, we're at our Penn State football game, honor the family, one of the kickers that was on, when I was at Penn State as a student, he's one of our kickers and he was in one of the towers. And I've met that family before. And, you know, at the time I was uh, involved with someone who lived in in uh, North Jersey there in uh, in uh, Westfield. And I remember going and seeing the parking lots and all the uh, cars that were there that no one was coming back to. I mean, this is it getting harder, easier. How do you wrap your head around 20 years now? I mean, because to me, it's just incredible to think it's been that long. Well, uh, you know, it, Given the times we live in and the more recent uh, uh, events involving the the pandemic, uh, I think, you know, it fades for the most part. And then when the anniversary uh, comes up, I'm I'm reminded er early on I had some some horrible, horrible uh, experiences, dreams, violent violent dreams nightmare kind planes of planes and right, stuff right. and I, yeah yeah i never i don't think i i don't think i slept well for the first two or three months but you know life does go on the first year anniversary i was um fortunate enough to be able to interview uh fire captain john vigiano he was a, a veteran he lost uh, both of his sons, John and mm. Joe. One was a police officer. The other was a, a firefighter. And sitting with him uh, in his, uh, his kitchen on Long Island, uh, he had dug through the, the burning poisons of ground zero for months, looking for any trace he could find of his, uh, of his sons. 
and talking with him, I realized how fortunate, how fortunate I really, I really was. And I think that got me, that got me over the hump. That got me, personally got me over the hump. It made me, and then to watch the rebuilding of not only the, the trade center site, uh, but the entire downtown area, as you know, it right. went from an area where very few people lived except, you know, the battery. Right. But, and it was all business and businesses moved out, small businesses closed. And all of a sudden, as New York does, mm-hmm. which I believe it'll do after this current crisis, it reinvented itself. And suddenly lower Manhattan downtown became a great place to live with with apartments and condos and just a vibrant fantastic part of the city and so i i take that with me and on a personal note in january of 2002 my wife mary and i came down looking for a summer rental to long beach island We, we always took the kids there i suddenly just said to her why don't we buy our own place? And she said, we have three kids that are going to be going to college. Are you crazy? We can't afford this. And I said, you're probably right. I said, but after what almost happened to me, you know, let's, let's just take a shot at it. And we did. Yeah. And that's the, the, the house we live in is on the property we bought a few months after September 11th. So on, on a personal level, it, it did change our lives. You know, I think that's a, a great thought too, because um, Penn State Blue Band Halftime Show, we're going to honor the victims of 9-11 at the beginning, but then transition into how the lessons that I think we all learned that when, you know, when you're going at it alone, everything can be really wrong. And then, as we found the resolve and the real resiliency of our country, of our neighborhoods, of our people in New York, the way we all pitched in as family, you know, that kind of has still resonating and is getting us through today. I think, you know, that is really the, the impetus of when we as an organization at 1010 Wins started really considering thinking of us as a family because we knew that we had family that had been hurt and attacked and we were helping them get through it. And, you know, John, I thank you for sharing all that with us yeah. because uh, I, I just like one, one thing I'd like to say, the one regret I have is that great feeling of, of coming together. Uh, whether yeah. you were a Republican, a Democrat, an independent, when president Bush got up on that, that he and yep. the rubble and, and the one firefighter screamed, we can't hear you. He said, well, are the people who knock down these buildings are going to hear from us. I hear you. And th- that I mixed up the quote, but yeah. the, we were united. We right. reunited, not Republican or Democrats weren't the enemies. You know, Al Qaeda was the enemy. I hope, I hope we can get back to that moment when we looked at each other as family, as Americans, not as enemies on in this terrible political divide. Well said, John. Thank you for sharing all that with us. And um, you know, we're going to take care of you. I think we've got a good 
couple of weeks at least here of some really good weather down there at the Jersey Shore for you, right? Because uh, yeah, keep keep Larry out at sea. Yeah, Larry's well. He'll be a little rough on the on the surf there. We get rid of the rain here as we enter in the weekend. It looks pretty good, and 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 really it does look good. Uh, I know it's been tough uh, with all the rain and these storms, and so I think that has been adding into maybe the feeling of a little bit of a. Uh, uh, you know, just a, a pause here on this 20th anniversary. Again, John, thank you so much for being with us here on Everything Under the Sun. You got it, Dean. Thanks. You can follow uh, John on Twitter. His Twitter handle, 1010winsmontone, the number 1010wins, M-O-N-T-O-N-E. And, you know, live at 8.05 every morning, he has a Facebook Live broadcast. It's kind of a interesting, funny take on the news and stories that uh, John finds interesting, and I think you will too. That's facebook.com slash 1010wins, and uh, look for their uh, Facebook Live broadcast of Live at 8.05 with John Montone. When we come back, our chief long-range forecaster, Paul Pastelock, will join us to talk about what's uh, going on weather-wise here as we go through this next several weeks, which are really some of my favorite weeks of the year, September, early October, and maybe a little sneak peek of when winter starts pushing into our lives. Paul Pasolock with a long-range forecast look. After this, this is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day, every day. This is AccuWeather meteorologist Dean DeVore, and as we get back to school in our episode two of that series here on Everything Under the Sun for 2021, really about what to expect for this fall, and it was uh, certainly time that we checked in, and we haven't done it in a while, with our chief long-range forecaster, Paul Pastelock, his thoughts about what's ahead with some real nice early fall weather in parts of the country, and when winter may be knocking at our door here as we get into the second half of fall and early part of winter, some sneak peeks at the AccuWeather winter forecast that's coming up soon. Paul Pasolog joins me here on Everything Under the Sun. Paul, welcome in. It has uh, been such a busy late summer as we make the transition here into meteorological fall. Before we get into the, the fall forecast and your ideas about that, just kind of give a little recap about summer. I mean, some of the things that we talked about going into the summer forecast certainly were realized uh, in terms of variability of temperatures, the continuation of wildfire problems out west and the amazing heat. And some of your thoughts and observations about how the summer went in terms of where we were in the forecast and what came to realization. I really do feel that the summer, we, we're not going to get into numbers, but you know, when I looked at the verifications, which I just did this past week, our error was very low on temperatures overall. There was a lot of ups and downs. There was times where, you know, the early part of the summer, we dealt with uh, a little bit of coolness, some unsettled weather, then it warmed up. And then all of a sudden, boom, we got hit with more wet weather, a lot of ups and downs in the east. The, the heat, the, the thing that really impressed me this year was the two heat waves that mm-hmm. took place in the Northwest, actually, right. Western yep. Canada. And that really set the stage for the wildfire scene. Everyone was so focused on California and the Northwest on wildfires, but it was British Columbia up in our, our neighbors up in Western Canada that had the worst fire season uh, compared to everybody else right now. And that was because of that extraordinary heat that hit Seattle and Portland 
and extended up into Canada. That was very impressive. It was very impressive. And then even the middle of the country got in. I know like a place like St. Louis, I think I uh, counted six separate heat waves and a couple of them were like two week affairs. So you're right. When that heat would build in, it would start spilling farther east and then would, would hold on. And then it seemed like the variability along the East Coast. And we talked about that with you. We talked mm-hmm. about it with Dan Kutlowski. In terms of the, you know, when we see those variabilities, especially in the east from big swings up and down, that it generates storms. And it did that every time we got to seem like uh, we had one of those and it generated Elsa. And then there we go with another one. And we get into that period where we talked uh, and had to deal with Fred Henri and then into Ida. So how does that translate as we start making the turn to fall? We've done it uh, solar and we're in solar fall now about six weeks. We just mm-hmm. started meteorological logical fall, calendar fall here in a couple of weeks. Does that kind of um, warm hangover that we're seeing last into the beginning of fall? I think that was something that we kind of previewed when we talked last time about updating the summer forecast. Well, all this wetness, Dean, that we have from the central Gulf Coast to the mid-Atlantic coast in southern New England, going forward during the month of September is going to hold back the numbers a little bit in those areas. The high temperatures will not get quite as high as an area that may be farther west that didn't get as much rain. I mean, since beginning of August, I mean, New York City's had 17 plus inches of rainfall. The central Gulf Coast has gotten hit massive hurricane. That water, that soil moisture is very rich. So that's going to hold back things a little bit. But I do think there's still some mild weather in the forecast all the way to October for the East Coast and much of the eastern half of the nation. So, and that's something that we've had in our forecast, or at least our clients, premium clients have had since actually May and June. We haven't really abandoned that idea. So everything still looks on cue for that. The changes that are going to really take drastic could be in the Northern Rockies. We could go from wildfires to um, lizards, snow and cold. Wow. So it's I can see that happening and we're seeing it on the modeling coming on now. Late September into October, look for a bigger change to take place there, especially. And so if all the bad weather is happening there, it it should improve a little bit on the East Coast unless we still have another tropical system in our pocket coming up the east coast which is you know not out of the realm of possibility right now but let's talk about let's go out west again and just talk about just uh, as you already mentioned the incredible heat waves the fire season all the way up into British Columbia, lots of fire problems, uh, at least early on in the summer in the central parts of uh, Canada. Is that getting better here? Uh, you know, you said there looks like there could be a flip late September and October where we go from that. But but over the next couple of weeks, are we still going to have problems with the fires and the heat as we go through these uh, next couple of weeks of September? Yes, yes and yes, Dean. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, well, here's, you know, the whole season started out in the southwest. Okay, it was it went crazy in Arizona, New Mexico. We had fires burning big time right in the early part of the season. Then we got the monsoon and the monsoon much better than last year. In fact, Tucson's going to have their third wettest monsoon season, which was really welcome. Then it shifted when those heat waves we talked about earlier came on strong in the northwest and western Canada. Boom, the fires took off in Washington, Montana and Idaho and in western Canada. Now, with that flip That area by October should see a big change like Montana, Idaho, Washington, maybe getting to Wyoming. All those areas should clean out from fires. But unfortunately, the moisture will not get down as heavy, we feel, in Northern California, Oregon, and parts of Western Nevada. Those areas will continue to burn. The Calder Fire, the Dixie Fire, those things 
are starting to slowly get contained, but not fast enough. So expect those fires to go on at least through October, maybe early November. And then we got to watch Southern California, which has been not so active yet. Right. But the changes that are taking place in the Northern Rockies by October could influence and get the Santa Ana's blowing in October, November, which would be bad news for Southern California, late season for them possibly into early December. I've been reading and that's uh, been something we've been talking about to our clients and to our folks on, on AccuWeather.com that I think you're right. Uh, northern parts of the, the that area will get some relief, but this danger may go into December, which is it's not unprecedented, but it's certainly not the norm, right? Uh, this is like a one in 25, 30, 40 year event kind of in terms of the, the way this has worked. Well, last year, we did have a late season in California. The, the the difference about this year is actually the rate, the number of fires was on track, but the rate of acreage actually has been falling below the 10-year average. Now, if you look at the last 10 years, the wildfire acreage has been insane. So that doesn't really mean much. It's still pretty bad season, uh, especially the areas that have been hit, like South Lake Tahoe region, right. frantically trying to evacuate. But in my opinion, it is a, a press, impressive uh, event, and it probably will fall in the top 10, maybe not quite the top five as far as acreage goes. It, it, it's just we're in a pattern right now that the severe drought of last year is really affecting the region this year in a worst case scenario here. So that's a pretty good handle on the West. Let's come farther East. And does that flip from fire to snow? Sounds like a a Game of Thrones episode, right? Mm -hmm. But does that translate farther eastward as the fall wears on? I think uh, you said that central and eastern part of the country probably holds on to some nice weather, at least early in in the fall. But do we see some of that storminess and the potential for some cold air dropping into the northeast and the Great Lakes as we get later on in the fall anything uh, that could be surprising to us as we wake up one of those october mornings and see some white stuff on the ground in places where we don't expect it till either november or december dean you got to get out of the radio business to get into my long range team you know okay. i mean you just you just hit it right on the nose i mean you need to join my long range team well i can i can help out <laughs> once in a while <laughs> but again you're you're right uh we do feel and we've and we've had this in the forecast that november could be a flip we start out above normal uh in the great lakes northeast uh through you know latter latter part of second half of september all the way into October, looks mild, looks above normal. We have more warm days than cool days. And then either toward the end of October or early November, we see a flip. And we see a, a stormier pattern. We see more cold air coming down in pushes, maybe not sustained, but pushes. And that'll be felt in places like Chicago, Detroit, and even to the big East Coast cities as well at times. Uh, the thing that's holding you back on the East Coast is the waters are still warm despite some of the tropical activity. We still got above normal water temperatures there. And, yeah, I, uh, I just I didn't feel like this last couple of storms really disrupted the water yeah. situation much. I agree with that. Uh, Very yeah, deep. Was, yeah. yeah, and they were and they were warm to go into this. You know, they were they were rising pretty quickly as we got in the beginning of the summer. And yeah, it's uh, it's scary some of the warm water that's still available to any storm that would uh, pop up here in the next couple of weeks. Two things: the warm water early to mid-fall can help to produce drier and also some warmer conditions. But at the same time, as you get towards, you know, late November and December and the air is getting colder and colder aloft, that can cause for more unstable situations and bigger storms to evolve 
early on in the season. So, I mean, we are calling possibly for an early start to the winter season for parts of the nation. Again, like you said, a flip, it can happen. Um, I think it's more likely in the Great Lakes and the Midwest and Ohio Valley, but we can't see this big turnaround at the end of the uh, fall season. Any clues as to what this winter is shaping up to be? I'm not going to put you, obviously, on the spot too much, but uh, are there some things that we're already kind of jotting down for some themes for the upcoming winter as we get through the fall and into November, December, January? Yeah, there is. And it's been a, a little longer time for me to put this together. I'm actually running behind. <laughs> I only got a week to put this whole thing together for my team. And uh, the thing is, is that we're seeing more and more information, especially some of the new modeling coming in, matching up with some of the years that we're matching up. It looks like it's going to be a rough winter. Uh, I really do feel there's going to be a lot of storms uh, and it's spread out. I mean, we, we're talking about the Rockies. We're talking about the Midwest and Great Lakes. And we're also talking about the Northeast getting into it. Uh, both things conditions. You got the warm waters. You have the forecast by both analog years and modeling showing some type of mid, uh, uh, some type of northern latitude blocking, which is very supportive of seeing bigger type storms devolve, evolve in the U.S. So let's let's explain that very, very yeah. quickly. When you say uh, blocking, you mean that the, at some point there's a, a, a situation that develops where the atmosphere becomes kind of static, where yeah an area of high pressure is just kind of builds in in the North Atlantic and things will have to kind of either go over, under, or around it. They can't go through it. And because of that, that creates more storminess, different storm tracks over the the uh, the North American continent. Is that, uh, is that a good way to put it there? It is. And the blocking doesn't have to be in the North Atlantic as well. Right. We can see it kind of, you know, shifting from time to time. And we see a lot of warm water in the Northeast Pacific. We see some blocking in the in the northwest Atlantic, and that combination can give us a very wavy pattern. Uh, you know, you can get a very high amplitude pattern at times during the winter, and that leads to bigger storms, more snow. And if we get the snowpack developing early, that could be a rough winter for many folks uh, across the nation. It sounds to me like it's uh, different areas of the country could take their turn, right? And so, exactly. you know, so the West is stormy for a while, then that starts cutting up into the Midwest, and then you may get an opportunity to have some Eastern seaboard stuff, and then it may jump around here a little bit, too. So, mm-hmm. wow, you, you, you sound like I'm going to be busy here on the radio, uh, maybe too busy to join the long range team if you keep that's that why, up. All right. That's why you get paid the big bucks, Dean, <laughs> over there. <laughs> I, I understand that. Uh, and, and, you know, speaking of you, and you talk about that. I know um, long-range forecasting, uh, we've obviously evolved it over the last couple of decades, and and it takes its own special thing. But I think the other thing that's taken its toll is how active the current weather has been. And so, you know, it's the hard thing here as a meteorologist. You know, do you want to concentrate on the near term when there's so much going on? or or And, and I think uh, yeah. we are so fortunate here at AccuWeather, and you're fortunate to have a great team of long-range folks who can kind of balance that because both things are important. You know, everybody yeah. wants to know what's happening today. And we've got a lot of folks, especially on the AccuWeather for Business end, that want to have some forecasts going in the next few months or so. Yeah, the big thing is air quality right now. With the COVID yeah. situation, I'm getting hit with air quality and wildfire interviews constantly. But at the same time, I'm trying to look at the rest of fall and I'm looking at the winter forecast. So the busiest time for me is actually August and September. Uh, It's hard to take any time off. It's hard to even sleep sometimes. So (laughs) this is the busiest time of the year because there's so much and tropical, add tropical on. Right. Yeah. It's like everything coming together right at one time. Exactly. Exactly. In fact, you know, when it quiets down, 
when we get to the start of winter, because everything is done from a long range, from a long range standpoint, then you got to yes. sit back and, and determine whether or not the, the stuff was good. The most popular question in December is when's this winter going to end? <laughs> Already, <laughs> they're asking, just begun, when's right? this winter going to end? <laughs> so, Paul, thanks so anyway. much for your time. We appreciate all the work that you and your long range team do. And of course, you can find out all that great information on AccuWeather.com and our stories and on our website and on your app. Paul, thanks for being here on Everything Under the Sun. Dean, great being with you. Thanks for having me on there. We'll turn our attention from the longer term to the shorter term. Chief Hurricane Forecaster Dan Kotlowski is going to join me next. Take a look as we enter to statistically speaking in terms of number of name storms about the halfway point in the hurricane season, the peak of it. And we'll also take a look at the weather for the upcoming weekend ahead. Maybe a little bonus beach weather for some folks in the Northeast. That's all coming up with everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. This podcast is sponsored by the NHTSA. Every year, children die from being left alone in cars. If you see a child left unattended, call 911 immediately. Dan, thanks for being uh, with me here today. You know, uh, as we get into this weekend and with uh, all of that's going on weather wise, I think uh, sometimes we just need to take a moment as we've been trying to do here in this podcast and and look back a little bit. I know uh, 20 years ago, as uh, we got ready for this weekend, uh, it was a beautiful week. And uh, I remember that day of 9-11, Dan, um, I had not gone through my formal meteorology training yet. I was kind of a behind the scenes person supporting and uh, helping run our radio uh, division here at AccuWeather. And I can remember I had that office. I don't know if you remember out on the floor where I had like walls around me, but I I, I was open to, the, you know, from the roof and because we have that double decker room that we all in. And, and I remember the first words about the first plane striking uh, the the first tower. I mean, at the first, we didn't know it was a plane. We just thought there was a, a, a fire at the top of the tower. And you know, I, I just remember vividly how clear that day was from uh, New York City down to the Pentagon in that area. It was like a double-edged sword. I mean, it, it allowed us to see everything so clearly that was going on and it was a stark uh, uh, situation. And then obviously, you know, I made this comment to some folks in New York. I mean, obviously for the folks uh, perpetrating that uh, awful situation, I mean, it was, it was easy weather to fly in in that day. And then, you know, in some ways it was easy for responding to it, but um, just this, just how beautiful a day it was. And coming off, I think if I remember right, some storminess right ahead of that is through the Northeast. There were some thunderstorms and then it cleared out. And I, I hear Elliot's words, I think, that have been played again on one of his winds reports right before, I think, the 832 winds report, 20 minutes before the first plane strike to the World Trade Center, just how gorgeous, sunny, sapphire blue. And it's it's amazing sometimes how the weather may not directly impact a, a momentary and a momentous and a, a, an event that, you know, I know it's it's hard to get that out of our minds here this morning when I'm thinking about what we're going through here weather-wise, and I think emotionally here as we celebrate and commemorate the 20th anniversary of that awful day. I remember walking into the office and someone had a uh, TV set set up the uh, in the entry of the building. They said uh, that something caused this 
plane to go into the building. And then by the time I got in the main operations area, I was training a new forecaster. We saw the other plane go into the other building. So yeah, it's, uh, it's like you said, it's very vivid in mind. And what's even more vivid as, as a meteorologist, just how, you know, pristine the weather was across the Eastern United States. In fact, there was a few days there because, you know, plane travel shut down uh, mm-hmm. for three days. And it was amazing because it was the time of year, too, that I think most of the clouds that are made sometimes in that time of year are by contrails from the jets. I mean, and there were none going. And so I I think there actually was a study done that over those three days where um, maybe temps were up a couple of degrees because there weren't as much there wasn't as much cloudiness manufactured by. And we see that sometimes by planes and stuff like that. So uh, interesting uh, weather angle, I think. All of the problems that New York City and some of those areas have had in the last couple of weeks as we're getting ready to uh, commemorate this uh, anniversary this weekend. I think it's all adding part and parcel. I mean, it's it's a tremendously emotional time for those folks. And they've had some really rough weather, Dan. And fortunately, as we kind of transition to looking at the weather, we've had a breather here over this past week in the Atlantic Basin and uh, in some ways. But then in other ways. You know, Larry's churning out in the Atlantic here. And uh, as we drop this podcast, we'll finally be an entity up into the Canadian Maritimes. It actually kind of contributed to holding that front up that has been creating a focusing mechanism for some flooding rains that fortunately, as we went into Wednesday night, Thursday night, didn't actually come out as badly as it could have. And so I think as we ease into the weekend, uh, but we're going to start to see uh, some issues pop up again out west with the heat and the fires here over the next week. But I wanted to check in with you, Dan, and just see where we are, because this weekend, right, we're we're coming to the peak of the hurricane season. This is it. Um, and I heard an interesting stat. Uh, you know, we're at the M storm. Misty got named as a system in the Gulf. And it's usually by average standards, not till late October that we get to the M named storm. So we're ahead We knew that we were going to be, but the pause has been good. Kind of give us a little tropical roadmap, Atlantic Basin hurricane season roadmap here for the next few weeks. You know, when you look at the uh, averages, that's what this is, where we reach the peak, but that actually is just based on averages. In other words, half the storms occur before the 10th of September and the other half occur after the 10th of September. So uh, it's just a... Uh, it's, it's kind of arbitrary just, is what you're yeah, saying, exactly, right? It's, it's exactly. a number of named storms. So that doesn't tell us how, you know, we're halfway through the most intense part of the season. Cause honestly, we're in the most intense part of the season. And the peak of that is probably another week or two past the peak of the storm name time situation. Exactly. So the, the water temperatures are very warm. Now, usually the vertical wind shear is not as great. This time of the year, doesn't matter whether you're in a La Nina or El Nino. So this is the time of the year, like the end of August to about the middle of September, that you see pristine conditions. But those conditions lag uh, all the way into October. And we're, since we're going into a La Nina now, that means the shear will probably, the, the lessening of the shear will continue all the way into October. So looking at the long range right now, um, it looks as, Dean, it looks as if we are going to see uh, still uh, a number of storms just yet. We're still going with around 20 named storms. We're already at 13. And I really believe over the next two weeks, if we if we overachieve uh, in, in storm development, 
we're going to be above that uh, 20 number. And the, the magic number, I think, is what, 21. Once you get above right. 21, then you start, then we use that auxiliary list. Right. It's very possible that we may have to use that depending on how things evolve here over the next two to three weeks. When you when you saw what's been happened with uh, the last storms here, especially, uh, you know, going back to Fred and then Henri and then Ida, one of the things that is a little shocking to me is how much the water temperatures, as you mentioned, aren't cooler after all that activity. Usually storms start churning up the water and creating, um, you know, cooler pockets rather than keeping it warm. And it just does not seem to be the case here at this point. I mean, we're already running ahead of normal water temperatures going into the season. And even with this activity in the last few weeks, it hasn't really changed that equation, right? Exactly. In fact, what's very interesting, you bring it up, is this warm pocket of the pocket of warm water we call the warm water eddy that was southeast of Louisiana that helped cause Ida to explode, uh, intensify, and do rapid intensification. That warm pocket was still there, and Mindy or pre-Mindy went right over that warm pocket, and I believe that warm pocket is what helped to get Mindy to 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 really wrap up very very quickly. Thunderstorms exploded around uh, uh, Mindy's uh, collective thunderstorm area. And I believe that really helped Mindy to develop. So you're absolutely right. There's a lot of warm uh, water out there. Just because a hurricane has gone through doesn't necessarily change change what's going on overall. So let's uh, just take a few minutes to talk what we normally do in this segment, is the weather for the weekend ahead and the week beyond. And again, um, I'm encouraged by looking at our overall view of the weekend. And the snapshot has the jet stream pretty zonal. In other words, pretty flat from west to east. A few little dips here or there. Make it some showers and some thunderstorms out in the Rockies and up in the uh, Western Northern Plains. And there's a little feature that may come through the Great Lakes later on in the weekend towards the beginning of next week. Gorgeous uh, weather, really, really gorgeous weather. Again, the 20th day uh, anniversary day in New York City may be just as like it was 20 years ago on 9-11. Saturday looks amazingly beautiful all the way back to central Pennsylvania. I know we're excited here about a Penn State football game, Dan, and uh, certainly we're excited about some nice weather. I think the one place that I see a lot of uh, Unsettled weather this weekend is right along the Gulf Coast. Uh, Showers and thunderstorms likely all the way from Florida, back all the way around through New Orleans, Houston, and all the way down to uh, McAllen, Texas. Could have some showers and thunderstorms. Let's talk about that. Yeah, Dean, it looks like a lot of messy weather is going to be developing in the Gulf of Mexico. We've got a a circulation pattern over Central America that's going to attempt to cause uh, development in the Eastern Pacific, but also maybe try to cause something over the Bay of Campeche of the Southwest Gulf of Mexico. So collectively, it just sends a lot of moisture up into the Gulf of Mexico, which then uh, heads toward Texas uh, as we get into the weekend and early next week. So it looks like the heaviest rain is going to be along the Texas coast in the Northwestern portion of the Gulf of Mexico. So anyone in that area should expect a rainy uh, latter half of the weekend. And uh, that will include all the way into Louisiana, perhaps even into parts of the Florida Panhandle. Heat's going to be building middle of the country. Our friends uh, in St. Louis, I'm on KMOX and um, gorgeous weather here to end the week. But then it's going to start getting hot. And then that's just kind of the edge of the spillover of the intense heat that's going out west. And we had Paul Pasolak on and talking about the uh, the dangerous wildfire situation that's going to continue and probably 
kind of rejigger itself and intensify more south now as we go through uh, California in the lower southwestern part of the country, but still pretty hot here uh, as you go farther north and east, and uh, that heat's going to continue into the weekend. Yeah, one thing, Dana, is really impressive about this pattern is we've got this hurricane that is going to move away from Baja, California. But what's interesting, the movement of that system is the result of a huge high pressure area right over the four corners. And that's going to expand eastward. And that's what's going to bring some very warm weather to the central U.S. and, and on portions to the east. So, yeah, a really it almost looks like uh, then with a the jet stream to the north being a little bit more active, you almost, it almost seems like fall wants to try to break out across the prairies of Canada. And then you still have all this tropical weather to the south. So it just looks like a, a weather map that is just <laughs> filled with all kinds of uh, interesting weather. Yeah, I think the next week or so. And, and I think these are the situations when it's stacked like this. We call it stacked. So it's cool. Little uh, there's impulses running along the north and then you got that stack of hot air and then really tropical air. You're not sure that the models have a good handle on how that's going to mix up because it is going to mix up right over the next. It has to. So it doesn't stay in that kind of static form for so long. So, uh, yeah, I'm anxious to see where we go here in the next couple of weeks. But I think the best thing we can do with everything going on is kind of just enjoy the relative calm of this upcoming weekend into the least early part of next week, the way it looks, Dan. I totally agree. Enjoy the weekend because next week things may get a little bit more interesting otherwise. Yeah, definitely. So, Dan, thanks for spending remembering uh, 20 years ago and giving us an update on the tropics. We appreciate your time here on Everything Under the Sun. Thank you. Friends, that'll do it for this week's episode, episode two of our Back to School series. For episode three next week, I'm really excited about the concept we've chosen. Can't tell you how many times I've gone out and about and had folks stop me and say, you know, I have a I have a son or a daughter who really loves the weather, and I really want to know how to get them positioned to be working in meteorology or climate or something like that. And so we're going to answer those questions with folks from here at AccuWeather, and we have some other great points of view, too, in terms of this idea of like what uh, it will take and what things you should look for and what questions you should be asking yourself to know if you want to be a meteorologist. So you want to be a meteorologist. That's our focus next week on Episode 3 of Everything Under the Sun's Back to School series. For the hundreds of team members here at AccuWeather and AccuWeather.com, we thank you for listening, and we hope that you have a great week. I'd like to thank my executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Rahm. And again, thanks to our guests, including Dan Kutlowski, Paul Pasolak, and the one and only John Montone. I'm Dean DeVore. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week for So You Want to Be a Meteorologist right here on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at AccuWeather.podcast at AccuWeather.com. 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.